So yeah, so which 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 episode is this of our episode? Number fifteen. This is fifteen. Fifteen? Wow. Do you know what fifteen yeah. means? Fifteen is how many drinks I had in celebration of Hemingway, uh, and uh, the Sun Also Rises novel. It's how many drinks I had to prepare for this discussion. I, I would think Hemingway could probably drink you under the table. That man was a drinker. He indeed was. Yes, I guess we can but, table uh, that. <laughs> I guess in real life, he was... Uh, I mean, I guess the novels that we read are... What did we read? We read three novels. You probably read six, but I only read three. I read The Old Man in the Sea, For yes, Whom the check. Bell Tolls. Yeah, you got that? Check. And The Sun Also Rises. Oh, wow. So we get to talk about all of these? We and can. Anyway? And, oh. Yeah, exactly. And my sense is there is some reflection of the real world, the real Ernest Hemingway, the man, with these three books. So, Mark, since since we last podcasted, you and I have gone to Olympic, Olympic National National Park Park Forest Park. Yes, we did, and uh, yeah, it was that was mighty epic. We did two epic. two backpacking trips. Right, right. The first Boy, was destination. The first was the South Coast Trail. Right. And that was what? That was two nights uh, that we spent uh, starting at Third Beach and then walking right. to Toliak 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 Point uh, right. and, and then coming back and camping on Third Beach. My understanding is that trip was made dramatic not only by the cliffs that we had to go up and down but also by the tides. Right. Right. Yeah. Those and those repelling those ropes when you try to get up the cliff and they were wet and muddy and and then the and then the the, the sand and the rain out on the beach and the it was gorgeous and it was challenging. It was wonderful and and we had children along who were eager and struggling and all those different uh, dimensions it was great you know the one thing i thought i think about that part of the trip is you saying you know like getting out doing that kind of wilderness kind of adventure is hard it's hard at the beginning you know you leave the comforts of you know of a home and you go out and you and you do that and it's it's always at first you got to dig a hole to poop and all that stuff the cat hole is that what it's called and uh, there's those challenges, you know, um, but then you get into a stride, right? You catch a stride and then it's, gosh, it's so great. It was such a great experience. So I think it's a bit like holding a mirror to oneself and it's just, uh, it, it sort of brings out uh, things that in the comforts of our houses, we kind of don't have to deal with and uh, just just dealing with food or getting water can be a struggle right and right, getting frustrated right. and oh, like okay come on everybody we have to keep going because otherwise the tides are coming and we're going to get swept out to sea there's like you know real debt we lost we lost how many a couple just a couple, one, couple one, of kids yeah 
but uh, it's actually the children are missing. <laughs> Splendid. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. But uh, this sort of challenge, it it it's like exercising your muscles. It's like uh, it's uncomfortable. I'm dirty. I'm sweating. Um, I I don't know where all my stuff is. It's somewhere in my backpack, and but once you kind of let go and and just ease into that life of everything you're you need as you're carrying on your back it becomes quite magical and you realize right. that everything you have is in your heart and your head right and the, and you know the, the the thinking that it propels you to musically i mean i had so many musical thoughts and ideas and then the thinking actually one question I was posing to you when we were out on the beach. I just want to—I I, want to tell you—I've thought about it a lot. I was because—and it's a question I've been fascinated since I was a kid, which is: Are the grains of sand on this beach infinite? And you immediately said, "No, no, that's a, no, they're not." And I—and I—and I've thought more about that, you know, that I was what I was asking, and I think I'm—I was kind of more trying to explore, like what do you call something that's not measurable and if you can you say oh yeah but you can measure if you know exactly the boundaries you could measure exactly how many or near exactly and i i and i and i think the question i was really that i was posing because i've been thinking more about this is like are these are there things in life that while they're not infinite they're not measurable and there certainly are and so I, I don't know i've just been tripping on that a bit you know and that came from that walk on the beach in that gorgeous setting out in olympic national park and and it led me to this kind of question about like human emotions and i've been thinking about that like is it possible is the number of feelings that people have felt throughout human history is it that infinite or is it immeasurable and um you know, just like it's a massive amount. Is, is it actual number? You know, all of the feelings people have felt for each other and the desires for things and their, the passing of their dog or their, or their parent or their, you know, or their, you know, or the birth of a child and all throughout human history. Is it possible to, is that an infinite number of things? I know that's, it's, it's, it's not, it's kind of an absurd question, but it actually, the grains of sand led me to thinking about that and the uh, massive, calculation when you think about human emotion and to me it, it <laughs> when it calls to mind your your concepts here are analog versus digital are there discrete mm. items like a gran, grain of sand that's like something you could measure uh something like emotion or feelings i don't know if you can create a boundary around it because sometimes the feelings are tied to other feelings or thoughts. Right. And right. how do you put a box around, in order to count it, around a feeling? Like, for instance, you, you feel love towards somebody. Well, that feeling of love may be tied in somehow. And please don't ask me exactly how, because I don't know. With maybe a sense of frustration about that person. Like, gosh... I love them so much and they hurt me or they hurt themselves, right, right, uh, right, which right, is right. often, you know, you see your friend hurting themselves and that could lead to a, a frustration. It doesn't mean you don't love them. And right. uh, so I, you know, I was thinking about the grains of sand on, uh, the, in the, on the world or the, a beach or something like that. And definitely grains of sand, unless 
if you take a snapshot in time and define exactly what a grain of sand is and exactly where the boundary is, then you can actually count, um, I right. believe, exactly how many grains of sand there are. But if it's not exactly clear where the boundary is or the size of a grain of sand, then like the sand themselves, those numbers could be shifting. Right, right, right. And how much love has been felt through time from people and how much, you know, it's, it's a merely a thought experiment, but it def, it was, I thought it interesting that, that our conversation about the grains of sand led me to that and thinking about just human emotion and how powerful uh, when you think about that, that trying to actually sum it up is a, is a really intense feeling. So, and and speaking of which, I do believe that camping is also intense. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say, I hope you're not getting frustrated with me in the sense that I was just describing. Um, but the second part of our backpack trip in Olympic National Park, which is just a gem of our national park Gorgeous. system, oh, just yeah. a bit west of Seattle, actually, Um is we went along for four nights the Quinault River, uh, which is a, the Quinault Rainforest is just the most incredible place with these huge ancient trees. Uh, just a beautiful place to go walking. And uh, it's so green there. It's a lot of lichen in the trees and moss everywhere. It's just beautiful shades of green. So we did this for after the beach trip. We did this for four nights with our young, relatively young kids. And it's interesting to me that there was different levels of, of, of abilities and wants and desires and expectations. And you're out in the wilderness and it's like, wait a minute, we have to go that many miles every day with this heavy pack on or wait a minute. I want to get to that glacier. Are you saying we're not going to be able to get to that glacier? And I think you and I, the, the two dads on the trip, we had some very similar experiences, but some different experiences as well in the sense that my son was raring to get to the top of a glacier that was like, I don't know, 30 miles away. And uh, nobody could keep up with him. Uh, my daughter and I couldn't keep up with him. And you're you and your son did this amazing journey, but it was in a sort of almost a different dimension, at least for a, a day or two of it. Right, 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 right. Where we 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 chose to 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 wait and not go not go further on, and then meet you back at another at one of the first campsites. And you know, it's I thought it was really it worked really well to like hey. Groups can decide, let's split up and meet here. And and then the kids are like, oh, that's possible. Wow. Rather than, you know, we all have to go together and we're going to, you know, force an issue. And then it turns into like something that's not good for anyone. And then, you know, it's just a lesson for life, right? With like group dimension. It turned out to be amazing on all fronts. Like everybody's experience was top notch. And we got together and then it was Oh my gosh, let me tell you what we did. Let me show you what we did and let me tell you about this. It was top notch so, yeah. and and that flexibility, yes, that is something that should sh shed into 
uh, normal non-backpacking life because it just was brilliant. So, and we actually, you know, we, we got to talk, we got to talk Hemingway and we did, um, we did have some Hemingway chat out on the beach. We were talking as we were pondering Hemingway. I keep thinking about that thing I read about Hemingway that I don't know if, if it was with us, with, uh, for whom the bell tolls, but he, every time he'd wake up and he'd begin the book from the beginning and read it to the point that it, he had finished, stopped writing the day before. So he was totally inside his book. And, uh, and it shows. Every word is chosen in that book. There's no mistakes mm. in any of his books. Yeah, he was definitely, uh, I mean, I'm no Hemingway scholar or expert, but just in what I've, you know, as I've read three of his books and you read the same three in the past month or two um he and then i watched the documentary by ken burns on hemingway and i'm excited to read more but you had said the word masculine when you were talking about him you know a month or so ago when we were talking and this documentary definitely makes that very you know if that's the word to use very very manly in terms if you think about those you know the hunting and the and the you know drinking and and you know i don't like these things associated as being manly but you know he was he was uh uh you know physically uh, physically abusive uh, emotionally abusive with partners and he was an intense dude you he know, was a boxer so now was he a boxer he was a boxing he refereed boxing he would box with yeah and he was a boxer and he had these he would like challenge in Cuba. I think he had a standing, I think it was in Cuba or was it in, doesn't matter, in Key Largo or, you know, like standing challenge to anyone who could go three rounds with him. He'd pay them, you know, 150 bucks and no one ever did it or something like, you know. Right. So he was definitely a. And I, I guess and, when he went he, fishing, his marlins were going to be bigger than yours. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. yeah nudge, yeah, nudge, yeah. poke, poke. And he, you know, and he served, how many wars did, he was in the. Uh, in the Spanish Civil War, in the First World War, he survived that. He was in a hospital. That's where he met his first wife after the, you know, and then wrote, you know, what did he write? Farewell to Arms. And uh, I'm, again, I'm no Hemingway expert. I'm just like, but in my in my bit that I've been able to, and Farewell to Arms, by the way, was my first Hemingway. I read it in high school. And uh, I, I need to get back to it because I want to read that one again. And I, but uh, well, th- just a quick clarification. This is more of a question than a comment. Yeah. Farewell to arms. Oh, right. That was was that was that about World War One? Oh man, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. <laughs> but it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't for whom the bell tolls about the Spanish Civil War. So it wasn't that about is Spanish that. Civil War. Okay. Hemingway definitely spoke to me being like I'm a lover of Spain. Um, I've been to the running of the bulls twice, and uh, so it was neat. So we 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 went. We read the sun also rises, right? And we read um, uh, for whom the bell tolls and uh, the old man of the sea. And sun also rises is definitely all about many things but it deals it has you know pamplona and the running of the bulls and he definitely is responsible i think for making it an international phenomenon you know uh, that book was in the came out in the 20s and uh, so let me ask you this question eric about that book yeah. in particular or it could be any of the books but maybe did that book affect you 
earlier did you read that book earlier in life nope no nope. okay. i'd always wanted to read it um i was struck by how different each of these books was uh, so you know just as a kind of a as a novice hemingway reader i was struck by i thought sun also rises was you know i kind of was and and this is its intent i think is it's kind of light and moving around all the all over the place and there's not like a hardcore plot to it it's it's just kind of you know these different characters and it's it's very and it definitely gave him a huge name you know the sun also rises uh um it's a lot of description and people drinking and uh you know so it, it but it struck me as kind of lighter than for whom the bell tolls which was written in a totally different time in his life and uh which was very much a story with a plot and a problem and how are we going to solve this and characters and uh, uh very much uh, i love for whom the bell tolls i thought it was i really enjoyed reading the book um more more than the sun also rises but they're also so different it's hard to compare them you know but uh so and you well i i found i don't i th i think maybe i mean i'd read old man in the sea a long time ago and i think the sparseness yes. the clarity the crisp sentences the, the the there's no extra words actually probably in any of his books um not to say there's not a lot of repetition in some of his books but that's intentional I think there, there can be quite a bit of repetition in his works, but it's very chiseled, uh, his, his style. And I think if anything that affected me earlier in my life, it would have been Old Man the Sea and just the way he wrote. It's just, uh, it reminded me of Strunk and White, um, elements of style. It looked like he'd read that or maybe he wrote it. Uh, just not a lot of extra verbiage. Um, Right. He, he's said right. to be a writer who um, would would almost like in a boxing match, he would beat out any superfluous words or thoughts or emotion and just have everything crisp and clean. And he'd go back and back again and back each sentence, he would come back to it. And yeah. uh, I think that affected me as a writer. In terms of uh, The Sun Also Rises, um, I don't I, I think I think some of that kind of annoyed me. Um, hmm. the loosey goosiness of it, um, the the alcoholism. I, I guess you know it's referred to as the lost generation after World War One and these people maybe had too much time on their hands. Um, I guess he was sort of that was the point of the book is to expose That's the point, in a that. sense right so so me responding that way would have been i guess hemingway would say yep that's what i was trying to, to portray but there were things that bothered me like the way the book starts and there's this jewish guy who's you know clearly hemingway had it or he was exposing this gross anti-Semitism is like, what the hell mm. is going on there? Um, I didn't mm. not, I did not enjoy that bit, and I didn't enjoy. It, it was just so much alcohol flowing. It was, um, to me, it was kind of gross. Right, and and yet it, like you're saying, it is kind of a document 
of that time, you know, whether or not you like those things. It's like a document. It's a, it's a, it's so on the ground documenting the way people were just in that moment. That's what it feels very like real, you know? And it's like, wait, what's going on? Who's with who? And what's, and that's exactly what it was. People were drinking so much at the running of the bulls and just, they were just drinking all over the place and like confusion. And then like, you know, uh, and then despair and then yelling at someone and then hating this person. It's just like, wow, that's a, it's a chaotic documenting of how people were, you know, and this is post, you know, just post world war one. And, um, so versus, you know, just to go back to the, uh, my, what I was saying about, um, for whom the bell tolls, I loved how like, mm, firmly on the ground that book felt to me like it was very much like the characters and their names and what they're eating and their and the coffee that they're drinking and the and like this the conflict with this one character and should we trust him and or should we should we uh you know should we kill this guy and then they're talking you know and and I I speaking as a Spanish speaker I loved some people don't love this but I love the way Hemingway like translated directly into English what they were saying to each other. Uh, I felt it really, it worked, you know, rather than like trying to make, make it soften it for how it would sound in English. He translated it directly, you know, literal translation of what people are saying to each other in Spanish. Um, so like in Spanish, you have usted, which is probably how people were speaking to, which is thou, or it's like, a, it's like a, it's a uh, respectful way of speaking to someone. And, it sounds strange in English that they're saying thou, but he was trying to convey that they were saying usted to the other person. And, uh, and, uh, and I think he say like, like in Spanish, you say something like, like me cago en la leche, which is like, it's, it's obscene, you know, like I, and in the book they would say, I obscenity in the mother, in the milk of the mother, you know, and, and, I obscenity, isn't that what he'd say in the book? Yes, it's just fun. It was interesting. So, um, but I, I really dug that. And I'll say about about for whom the bell tolls. I thought it was interesting that like you know it starts with this problem, and and this issue that he's going to bomb the bridge. And it was like, oh wait, is this just an initial like conflict point or like part of the plot? And it turned out no, that was the book. It was just the book. The whole book was about that thing, which was bombing the bridge, you know. And I just, I think in a modern book, often it's kind of like, oh, and here's the plot, and then there's a that's the subplot of this thing, and then like there's so there's a lot of layers. And this book didn't have a lot of layers. It was just like a story from the beginning to the end, you know. And that's what I I, I really dug about it. Um, Hemingway. I'd say one other thing about the in the documentary they were saying Hemingway. This idea about a story is if you if if you take a f- story to its furthest point, the end of that story is death. I thought it was a really interesting idea. You know that if you keep the story going, you don't end it here. You know you can end it here and you can have a happy ending, or you can have it here. But if you keep any story going, the story, the end of the story is death. It's pretty hardcore, isn't it? It's fast fascinating. So, yeah. Um, right. Yeah, that that uh, that book had a lot of violence in it, um, and uh, it, it 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 should. It's about it's about some 
violent acts and it really took you there. I really felt right. like I was there. Right. Um, and the way he, uh, Hemingway depicted women in For Whom the Bell Tolls, I thought was interesting. I don't know if he could get mm. away with that these days, the way he mm. uh, depicted Maria. Um, right. And I kind of thought maybe some of the characters were just there acting on Hemingway's own, I don't know, sexual or, or emotional fantasies, just to have hmm. this diminutive, just, yes, I will do your bidding, sir, kind of woman. Hmm. Um, I think in real life, Hemingway had a number of wives and maybe he was always looking for Maria and never quite found her. I don't know. It's hard, hard mm. to say. Mm. He, you know, he caught some, some flack for, from the left for having portrayed violence on both sides in that book. And I thought that was, that was, you know, th- the, like he, at near the beginning where they, the, the guy tells the story of his town where they would run the fascists through that, like, bludgeoning line and then run them off the cliff that was really powerful literature that was really powerful um and you know trying to i guess you know as a as the writer show that there was ugliness on all sides and um yeah i i I, yeah i remember that exact bit and what really came through to me with that um the part that you just described going off the cliffs and there was some stories that Pilar was uh, saying and uh, Pilar being one of the, the female characters in the story. And what came through to me was just what a master storyteller Hemingway is. Um, He just, you know, that, that whole bit where those digressions uh, in the in the narrative, where he would just have one of the characters just take over for like thirty pages, or you know maybe it was twenty pages, and they would just have this whole you know this is what happened here, and then you get back to the main uh, the main narrative, but it was so engaging, and so it just swept me up into. That and just uh, whatever you say about Hemingway, maybe he was, uh, you know, had a big ego or he was uh, sort of destructive masculine because he was actually a weak guy and he was trying to make up for it. I mean, people have all kinds of theories about this guy, but whatever it is, the guy could tell a story. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. I know. I was as I was learning more about him, you say, Oh wow, he was an intense dude and he was not not nice all the time. I and mean, you know, that John McCain is interviewed in this in this documentary powerfully. And uh not forgiving him his his major faults, but saying, you know, he was a he was a human. He was an intense human. And you can't, in some ways, you can't get that intense writing that we, that so many people love without having an intense person on the other side. You know, a guy who went through four wives and was always seeking another lover and was drinking like massive amounts of alcohol. And his son, you know, his son writes in this like absolute letter of 
despising him, you know, and forgave him later later on. But you know, like just you know, certainly an intense, intense person, you know, going off and on these like hunts in Africa and killing like lions and you know elephants and things. I'm just you know, I see that as a modern person. I'm like, God, really? <laughs> you know, oof. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Do you separate the man from the from the from the literature, you know, that's, that's, that's an age old question about art. But, uh, um, I, I think you, you, maybe you can't have one without the other. You can't have some, this intense person without getting, you can't have the great book without having, you know, he's not just your average Joe walking down the street with a fidelity account. And <laughs> or an and, infidelity uh, yeah. account. <laughs> Correct. Which, which uh, actually, you, know, you could get pretty good returns if you get, you know, a certain uh, percentage of your 401k into an infidelity account. Um, I highly recommend it. You just do dollar cost averaging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a plan, Stan. <laughs> hey, about um, about um, uh, the old man in the sea. I read it with my son when we were in uh, in Olympic National Park, as you well know. We started it there and we finished it. And I think to that book's credit, that's, you know, I couldn't have read the other books with him. He's a 12-year-old, you know. But it it really worked to read with my son that book. And it was a really good thing to share. I love that book. And that was the second time I read it. And it was interesting in, uh, you know, just back to the Ken Burns documentary, um, they were talking to a Spanish, famous Spanish author um, and who was saying, oh, it's his favorite book. Oh, my gosh. And then a, and then an English writer, she said, oh, it's not really that of his best, probably one of his least good books, you know, or if that's English, uh, but like that it's, oh, it's very, it's kind of simplistic. And she was criticizing it. And I just thought it was interesting. There was this wide range. But I think, you know, the public kind of speak with that book, with uh, Old Man in the Sea. You know, that's definitely for – that was written as his – really his last big, when he was alive, book that just kind of took the world by storm. Like, go ahead, man. Wait a – I thought of Tiger Woods, who, you know, who'd, you know, had a real lull in his – career and then came back and won the masters you know after a couple years ago and kind of blew everyone away and i i think people were writing off hemingway when he wrote um which of his books over the, the, gr the green know, hills or something of africa one of these yeah. and and that people critics said oh it's no good this is the end of hemingway he's had his day and and hemingway hated critics he actually caught up with one of the critics a few years after and like ripped the guy's shirt and like rah, screamed at him and like Hemingway's an intense guy and he, he hated the critics and I, I I feel what he's I feel his feeling there you know and uh, you, you he gets the last laugh I think with a book like uh, The Old Man in the Sea. S some you know? say that the protagonist of that story Santiago this old fisherman is in a sense parallel to Hemingway as the writer in that at that point when Hemingway was writing that story, he, as you say, Eric, he hadn't had a, a, a big book out there just like the character Santiago had not caught a fish, a big fish, or a fish of, of importance in its size for feeding himself for, I don't know, like 84 days or something, a, lo a long right, time, something right, like right. that. And so there's this parallel in the narrative with his own life as a writer. And, and uh, 
you, you, the story speaks for itself. He just uh, lands a big one, and and I guess the sharks could be likened uh, who 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 descend on his little boat toward the end to the critics. Right. Right. I mean, that's what I think is wonderful about the sharks in this book is that, and the whole story, but is it can mean different things to you based on your place in life. As If you're reading it as a child, it's one thing. I think as a you know person in middle age, it's another. It's a person who's faced sharks all their life is going to hone in on that part. A person who's – you know, there's a – it's a story of challenge too. You know, where he goes and he catches the big fish and uh, I just – I think that's uh, – that's as the book is so simple in that way that you can interpret, I think, and read into it in different ways. But the sharks, I tell you, it's after that whole trial of catching the fish. This, you know, doesn't give it. It's a, it's not a big book. I don't think I'm giving some, a, a, a big secret away. You know, that he catches the big marlin and then he's all alone and his marlin is huge and then he catches it and ties it to the boat and then all the sharks as he's going back, all nibble and chomp at it and then he ends up with nothing after that massive you know, battle and what lessons do you draw from life about that, especially written by someone like Hemingway, who's who's in the later years of his life writing this book, you know. and It um, could be kind of a grim metaphor for just life itself. You know, you try to do great things and the energy from that goodness sort of dissipates. And at the end, right. you kind of die alone I, that, I, I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying that's one interpretation of life. Um, right, right. And it's a bit grim. It's it's a bit um, gritty, and it's 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 muscular. It's it's not it, it's it's not soupy. It's not mushy. It's it's not syrupy. And that was very much Papa Hemingway. You know. So it just in defense, no, rather that's not in defense because I'll get in trouble. I don't want to get canceled. You know what I'm talking about? You ever hear uh, about hold that? on, I'm just gonna say, turn yeah. you off here. Hold on, because <laughs> I was going to say in defense of the running of the bulls and in defense of bullfighting. I know that's not maybe okay to say, but I did go to a bullfight in Spain. I was telling my son about this when I was 20. I went to a bullfight and it was. An incredible experience. Yeah, one of those life never forget experiences. A Spanish friend took me to see it, and he knew all about bullfighting. And he and his father had taken him, and he trained, and he was going to be a bullfighter. And he took me to it, and it was like, oh my gosh, it was the most amazing experience. Like the crowds, and then they brought the bullfighter out on the shoulders. They they opened up the doors of the bullfighting ring at the end, and the crowds carried him out. And they carried out the bullfighter because he had done such an incredible job. And and it was like, wow. It was definitely, as a 20-year-old, it was like mind-bending experience, human experience. And, and you know, to hear them, hear Hemingway, I, I definitely want, I would like, what is it, Death in the Afternoon? That's his book about bullfighting. I do want to read it, you know. You know, judge it as bad or good or cruel or anything, but it's just like to observe this activity this as what some people call an artistic activity of the uh, of the bullfight is uh it's maybe maybe worth 
learning more about and learn about if it's the cruelest thing in the world or learn about but that's aside it's just like wow what what is what is happening in a wolf bullfight you know and and the running of the bulls too which is connected to that but different where you know where i saw the running of the bulls one year uh twice i went to it and in the year i was there it was not the day i was there but uh, the, uh, the, the doors to the bull ring where they run all the bulls all the way down the street, you know, through Pamplona and all these hundreds of people run with the bulls. You know, it's really the running of the humans. I mean, there's only like 12 bulls and there's hundreds of people running with bulls. And as they got to the bull ring, somehow uh, the guy who was supposed to like keep the door open, it got it clipped. Somebody clipped the door. And so it closed the door, one of the doors to the bull ring. So there's all these people coming with all these bulls and they all collide into the door. There's this big pileup of bulls and people and craziness. And I'm like, what are humans doing? You know, and it was just it was wow, that was something else. It was just a nutty, nutty day in the running of the bulls in Pamplona. And my my thought was, I am so glad I'm not there in that, in that pile of bulls and people. Anyway, people are well, people are I mean, nuts. People are nuts. But. So if I were to try, without really understanding anything about culture or animals or humans or humans that are animals, uh, without under- understanding any of that, if I were to attempt to dig a bit, I would say something like a bullfight is some kind of ritualistic. Um, cathartic experience for the people in the audience where they get to see something killed, but it's not them. It's almost like Shirley Jackson's The Lottery or uh, what's mm. that uh, movie that people are seeing these days um, with Hunger Games? Hunger Games or... Exactly. With I was going to say with Mr. Snow and uh, where there's some someone, some beast or some heroic person or some symbol that takes all the angst of the day or the week and you know and, and if you happen to be stoned or drinking as they were in the book uh, the sun also rises maybe that helps that cathartic process uh for the lost generation or the found generation or the generation right, in right. between i uh and and it somehow lets them release whatever mm. the issues are in their lives. Speaking of which, why did Gertrude Stein and others consider the people after World War I the lost generation? What does that mean? I think they were lost because they were, you know, they were without, um, they had, you know, it was definitely a celebratory time, uh, you know, the roaring 20s. But also, like, what's our? We have to construct meaning again, you know. Okay. And it, once we've seen, uh, I, I, that's the way I interpret it, you know. Like, there was this whole, I think, this idea that we're making this perfect world, say, in the in the end of the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, we're moving towards some perfect, uh, you know, society and societal, and we've got all these, and then it was all shattered, utterly shattered by World War One, and um, you know, and and the and the what do you call them? The pits, you know, the uh, the, the, the uh, trenches of war, the warfare trenches, and all this, and people trying to construct meaning, and you know, and maybe maybe a bit lost. That's a hard thing to do is construct meaning, and then let alone what happened, you know, thirty years later, you know, 
with World War II. So in that confusion, they doused themselves with alcohol, um, or these days, I guess it's pot, alcohol, and a number of other things, and uh, get lost in the fog. Perhaps. Perhaps. I think it's, I mean, it's how awesome that, that just reading, yeah, uh, who is it, uh, um, the power of myth, Joseph Campbell, who said, like, if you love a writer or if you, you know, go down the path. And I, like, I've seen this in my son going down Billy Joel, like learning all, Leo, learning all this Billy Joel. And, like, it's neat to read Hemingway and just read a bunch of his books. And I want to read another one and read another one. And, and you know, because it actually, it gets you... You know, it's inspiring. It makes me like want to take my craft again more seriously, and it's, you know, not again, but to you know to re redouble. Like, and that's what he would do. You know, he would write every morning when he was writing. He went through a period where he would just write every morning uh, when he was in Key West, and then he would be free to his kids in the afternoon. But he'd write every morning, and I love that kind of you know focus on your craft. You know, I think it was like seven a.m. till noon. Every day, right, and and he would not take interruptions. His cell phone was not binging, <laughs> right? It just ding. Bing. Oh, let's check the stock market. Or no, I don't think oh, he yeah. was like that. Um, he was right. not multitasking. Um, is my understanding of his his technique as a writer? He took his writing very very seriously. Ask not for whom the bell tolls, the bell tolls for thee. Ask not for whom the peach rolls. Right. That was that was one of his that was one of his lesser known the, ones. The but, peach uh, rolls for thee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, a book that yeah. he did not write. We should probably discuss that for a moment. It's oh, it's called yeah. um, Lolly. It's all about this mushy, it's like eggplant. You ever make eggplant? Like you have the eggplant, right? And you chop it up and you yeah. put it in the oven and you and you souffle it and you saute it and you puff it and puff it and poof it and you add like all this mushy stuff like olive oil. Yeah. And mm. then you make it all kind of soft and and stuff like that. He, right. he, he did not write. And he didn't write about that. I mean, this is so dangerous to say, you know, the softer edge, the feminine edge. And all of a sudden I'm like thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to get attacked when I walk down the streets of Montpelier, Vermont for having even thought that not even said that. I don't believe it, but just to have thought that, um, because it's just not true because the women I know are, are, are like tough as nails and the guys are soft and mushy in sixties and like peaches it, with peaches exactly it's fuzzy like peach fuzz you know wuzzy fuzzy was a peach fuzzy wuzzy went to the beach <laughs> cuz he right, just stop right beach. there you're going to get us both in what? trouble <laughs> so tell me more about this book that hemingway did not write well, it starts out on the beach in 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 Tacoma <laughs> with the bear canister, Sonoma with the bear canister, and uh, ends up 
with a uh, freeze-dried packet of um, like a big tub of freeze-dried beef. <laughs> My God, that's incredible. It was yeah, it was. right. This it yeah, won the, the, the the beef, the freeze dried beef. When you add water instead, this is my understanding. Is my interpretation of what you're saying. When you add the the, the material to add to it, rather than having like dinner and you you know you take out your spork and your spoon and you, you eat it, a full blown bull comes out of it, and it's a very right. horny kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some someday uh, you'll have to go to the running of the peaches. It's really it's quite a, it's quite a thrill. The, the, they roll them all down the hill. Yeah, it's a, it's it's it happens in the winter in Pamplona. You'll have to you have to go sometime. I I had a similar kind of experience crazy. with the running of with when I came back for the first time in 2004 from India, and I yeah. was coming into Canada. I was living up in Canada at the time. Um, and I came, I, I flew into Dorval Airport, and it was called the running to the first bathroom. <laughs> and, you, you know, I, listen, Eric, I know you sometimes uh, run 50 miles in real life. Yeah. I know, I get that. Yeah. And, and I know you've done incredible walks and hikes and, and just incredible stuff with a pack or without a pack or whatever. And I'm not trying to be hyper masculine or hyper competitive but i've got you so beat man because when i walked from my seat in that airplane coming back from india my first trip to india where i ingested certain things called indian food and drank it seeped into my pores things called liquids and and when i got from that seat in my airplane on air canada or whatever it was and got to the first bathroom that was way further dude than you've ever gone <laughs> was was mr peach waiting there in the stall by any chance? Uh, no the whole thing was stalled it was incredible um <laughs> yeah and <laughs> it, it was it was uh it took every ounce of courage it was sort of like facing one of those bulls in Pampa. What was it? Pampano Beach? Was that what Hemingway's writing about? Um, Mr. Peach leads the way. He always will. That's the, that's what that's what keeps me writing. You know? I've always got that peach out there in front of me and you and all of us. The peach is always there. Even when you can't see the peach, it's there. Remember that. Remember what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, 